This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you, and what an Erev Shabbos it is. So many important things, so many exciting things all coming together this Shabbos. And because of that, we have to take the Shabbos far more seriously to understand what, in fact, its message is, how we can apply that particular message to our own lives, and how we ourselves can become better people as a result. Not only better people in the simple sense of the word, but better people in emulating the ways, the teachings of the greats that have, in fact, <clears throat> excuse me, made the Shabbos into something which is great and something which is important. First of all, the Parshas, Vayeshev, we speak about Yaakov, we'll continue with that soon. Yaakov continues his life, it becomes complicated, it becomes difficult. We have to understand what in fact is taking place, why after all these challenges, all these difficulties, he still continues with a life filled with challenge. It's also the 20th of Kislev, the day after Yutet Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, and that's the day that Chabad Hasidim and Jews all over the world commemorate and celebrate the liberation of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi from Tsarist prison. Rabbi Schneir Zalman, who's the author of the famous Tanya, the author of the Rav Shulchan Aruch, he unfortunately was imprisoned on false charges. And on the 19th and 20th, he was liberated. And because of that, it becomes a day, it became a day of great importance, a day that we commit ourselves to the study of his teachings, we commit ourselves to, as I said before, emulate the ways that he taught. He taught Hasidus, reaching out to each and every single Jew, the importance of Ahavat Yisrael, loving our fellow as we love ourselves, and to live a life of spiritual content, a life that enables us to understand ourselves, to understand our world, to understand our relationship with God, and to do it with a tremendous sense of joy. This is what the Alter Rebbe taught. And because of that, this day is known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidut, it's a day that began with all sorts of exciting miracles, and because of that, we celebrate, we emulate, we continue in his ways. It's also the Shabbos before Hanukkah, and of course, Hanukkah, the great festival of lights, the festival that we celebrate, the incredible miracle that took place in the Second Temple during the time of the Hasmoneans. Matisyahu and his sons, a tremendous miracle were the power of Greece. Greek had a powerful army, not only a powerful army physically, but a powerful army spiritually, and they contaminated the Holy Temple with their idols. And because of that, it was a time of great darkness and tragedy for the Jewish people. Matisyahu rises above, taking his sons, a handful of people, overthrowing the powerful Greek army of the time and reestablishing the holiness of the temple with the miracle of oil. We'll talk about that in a little while, how it connects to the Parsha, how, in fact, the teachings of the first Rebbe of Lubavitch, Chabad, connect with the Parsha as well. But, of course, as I said before, the Parsha is Vayeshev. Vayeshev means that he's settled. He, it seems to suggest a relaxation of sorts. Every other Parsha begins with an active verb, Vayetze, Vayishlach, he went out and he sent, etc., etc. There's tremendous activity and excitement in the name of the Parsha of two weeks ago and last week, and we see what, in fact, Yaakov accomplishes, accomplishes in terms of establishing a family in the house of his deceitful father-in-law, 
and uncle, Lavan, he marries his wives, he raises a great family, he amasses a great fortune. He is an individual despite the fact that there are all sorts of pressures within the society and personality of Lavan remains absolutely loyal to the teachings of his father Yitzchak and grandfather Avraham and continues to be the great righteous man that he is, transforming the world into a greater and better place. And last week, of course, he encounters his brother Esav, Esav, who has sworn to destroy him, to kill him. And Yaakov stands up to him and he tells him that despite the fact that you might be physically more powerful than me, you have a greater army, armed men, 400 of them against me and my family and my handful of servants. Nonetheless, I have spiritual power. And the proof of that spiritual power is that I retained my integrity to remain loyal to the teachings of our father. And we see Yaakov as a man of incredible heroism. He's an individual who stands up to the highest challenges. As mentioned last week, at length he arrives penniless in the house of his father-in-law, and yet with determination and effort and hard work, tremendously exhausting hard work, materially, physically, and spiritually, he does what he does, establishes a great and powerful and everlasting family, as well as material fortune as well. This Parshiva it seems to suggest that Yaakov wants to take it easy, to sit back, and to enjoy the fruits of his labor, to see his children growing up. All his children are righteous. All his tr- children, although of different opinions in many, many areas, as we'll soon discuss, nonetheless, each and every one of them in his own way is absolutely loyal to the teachings of Yaakov, to the teachings of Yitzchak, to the teachings of Avram. They are the tribes. They are the ones who established the 12 tribes of Israel. And because of that, they are known as, well, the perfect ones in almost every single sense of the word. And Yaakov sits and sees this. And it's time for him to Vayeshev, it would seem to suggest to take it easy. And in fact, some of the commentaries point out that Yankov wanted to have, well, a stillness to sit back and enjoy the fruit of his labors, and because of that, all sorts of difficulties develop as a result. But we have to look deeper into the Parsha and understand that Yaakov was not a man who was going to retire. Yaakov was not a man who finally came to a particular age and he said, I did what I have to do. I established a family. I've put together all my material wealth now it's time for me to sit back and enjoy it. Yaakov is not that sort of person, even in the spiritual sense of the word. Is it to say, now I can sit back and study the Torah in peace and at ease? Yaakov is an individual of extraordinary energy. He is a powerful man. He is an individual who has the capacity to do great and powerful things. And this is why Yaakov is not going to simply sit back and enjoy, even in the fullest sense of the word, in the positive sense of the word, the fruit of his labor. He's not going to sit back and do nothing. And yet, when we take a look at the word by Yeshiv, it seems to suggest just that. But as we go through the Parsha, it's anything but a restful life. The, the well, the apparent sibling rivalry between the other sons and Joseph the firstborn of his wife, Rachel, and how Joseph is sold by his brothers, sent down into Egypt, becomes a slave in the house of Potiphar, and ultimately ends up in jail. It seems to be a Parsha full of anything but 
a restful, peaceful existence. It seems to be a parsha of great turbulence, of great difficulty, of great challenge. Yaakov has to witness not only what he thinks is the loss of his son. He doesn't know that they sold him. He thinks that his son died, the son of his favorite wife, Rachel is no longer with him, and he goes into a deep sense of mourning. It's a Parsha that contains all sorts of incredible challenges, and yet the Parsha is called Vayeshev. And this is something of a phenomenon. First of all, why would a Parsha that contains such difficulty, such challenge, such turbulence, why would it be called by the name Vayeshev? It was a time of restfulness. And also, why in fact use that term at all with Yaakov? After all, as mentioned before, he was a man of energy. He was a man of great action. He was a man who was able and accomplishes a great great many things. He is not the sort of individual simply to sit back and rest on his laurels and say, I've done what I've done. I have achieved great things materially and spiritually, and now it's time for my children to deal with all those issues. I can have a relaxing type of life. That is not the personality of Yaakov. That is not the mission of Yaakov. That is not the way he sees his life, and this is not the way he understands his life. This is not his relationship with God, and this is certainly not his responsibility here in the physical world. He is a man of action, a man of great action, a man of powerful action. What then does the Parsha mean when it calls this Parsha by Yeshev, attributing this apparent concept of restfulness to Yaakov, when in fact it's anything but. Then we have to examine carefully what this word by Yeshev could possibly mean on a deeper level, how it goes through the entire Parsha, and how in fact it is a time although it appears to be a time of turbulence and challenge and difficulty and loss. Nonetheless, it's a time of extraordinary growth. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the Parsha of Ayeshev. We're talking about why the Torah would use a term that seems to suggest that Yaakov wanted to take it easy at this particular stage of his life. Yes, he accomplished a great many things. He did extraordinary things, but nonetheless, Yaakov is not the sort of person that's going to sit back and do nothing. Yaakov is a man of action, a man of extraordinary energy, a man that has incredible power, and Yaakov realizes that he has to use that power. This is his purpose. Why would Torah therefore for, seemed to suggest that Vayeshev, he wanted to take it easy. But before that, a word or two from the marketplace. Come visit Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood for amazing deals, valid from the 8th of December until the 21st of December 2017. Listen carefully. Pick and Pay 2 liters sunflower oil was forty one ninety nine. Now it's only 32 rand each. Pick and pay. Two kilogram white sugar was 35.99. Now only 29.99. Pepsi Cola two liter, regular or light, was 13.99. Now it's only 11.99. Sally Williams Macadamia. 
or almond nougat was a of a hundred and fifty gram was sixty two rand ninety nine now it's only forty two rand ninety nine pick and pay two kilogram washed potatoes now only nineteen ninety nine each pick and pay two kilogram onions now only also nineteen ninety nine each Half pure hake fish fingers, four hundred grams. Now only thirty nine ninety nine. No name kosher for Passover. Shredded tuna, a hundred and seventy grams, was fifteen ninety nine. Now only twelve rand. Visit Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood Perishables Department for more exciting Hanukkah specials on our fry products. Get there. Get these wonderful specials, buy them for Hanukkah, and enjoy the festival with these tremendous cheap prices on all these wonderful foods. We're talking about Yaakov Vayeshev. Now, the word Vayeshev, of course, translated simply means that he settled. Vayeshev, he sat back. But as we see it within the context of the Pasuk, some of our con- commentaries, particularly our Kabbalistic El Hasidic commentaries point out that Vayeshev has a different and perhaps deeper meaning than we normally attribute to it. It says Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megure Aviv, that Yaakov translated, simply settled in the land where his father, fathers, Isaac and Abraham, had lived. Be'eretz Canaan, in the land of Canaan. But Vayeshev, Be'eretz, can also mean something entirely different. Vayeshev means depth, that not only did he settle, but Vayeshev seems to suggest that he enters into the very essence of the place where he lives. He goes deeply, far beneath the surface, far beneath that which appears. Vayeshev means that not only did he settle, but he actually entered into the depths of Eretz. It seems to suggest deep within the earth, metaphorically speaking. It means that he came to the very core of the place in which he lived. And not only the very core of the place that he lived, but Megure Aviv, it was a place where his forebears, Abram and Isaac, sojourned. They were there in a temporary state. What the Pusik seems to suggest, therefore, from this point of view, is that Yaakov went into a deep state of recognition of what, in fact, the essence of Eretz, what, in fact, the essence of this physical earth is all about, and what, in fact, has to be done in order to ensure that this land becomes a place that reflects fully the will of God and ultimately completes the purpose of creation as we have been speaking about in the past few weeks. Vayeshev does not merely mean that he settled, he sat back, he rested, he took it easy. Vayeshev means he descended deeply into the depths and the core of earth, of the physical dimension of the physical world in order to recognize, to see, and to act upon the purpose of God's creation and what it's all about. And Yaakov felt that the time had come for this ultimate purpose to be revealed. The purpose of the world, of course, creation, revelation, it's Sinai, ultimately emancipation through the coming of Mashiach. 
Yaakov felt that perhaps the time had come. Once he had dealt with his enemies, the enemy called Laban, his uncle, his father-in-law, who tried to deceive him, Esau, his brother, who tried to kill him. Once he has dealt with those negative elements, perhaps the time had come now, after coming to Hebron and coming into the promised land and being within the essence of the physical dimension of the world, the time had come that perhaps... Mashiach could come, the ultimate fulfillment of God's creation. But no, Yaakov recognizes and realizes that the time had not come, and therefore there would have to be another period of darkness, another period of challenge, another period of great difficulty in order for him to fulfill the purpose of why God created the world. When I say him, he refers to himself and his family. And what does he do? What he does is he recognizes a particular gift in his son Joseph. We speak about Yosef being the individual that most closely resembled Yaakov. Yaakov saw within Joseph what he saw in all the other brothers. Joseph had qualities that the others didn't. Each and every one of the tribes was a great person, destined to monarchy, destined to priesthood, destined to great scholarship, destined to great, great wealth, destined to incredibly and powerful situations. He sees within Joseph, his younger son, what in fact is the ultimate purpose, and therefore he makes him a coat, a multicolored coat. And in making him this multicolored coat, Yaakov recognizes that two things will happen. Yaakov is not a naive person. He grew up in a house of great difficulty. He grew up in a house where his father actually extended greater love to his twin brother, Esau. It's only because of his mother, Rebekah, that he received the blessings because of his mother, Rebekah, that he was able to overwhelm the negativity of Esau. But he comes from a home where he knows what sibling rivalry can bring, and he full well knows that by giving Yosef this multicolored shirt, this multicolored coat, he is going to incur the wrath of the other brothers. The other brothers will become jealous, and understandably so, because this multicolored coat is not merely a jacket, not merely a coat, not merely a beautiful garment. It, in fact, reflects a particular type of spiritual strength that Yaakov is passing on to Joseph. And the other brothers will say, why to Joseph and not to us? After all, Reuben can complain and say he is the firstborn and therefore he should be treated with greater respect. And each and every one of the sons able to argue in their own way, we are the ones that should be receiving this multi Colored coat. The multicolored coat represents incredible levels of spirituality, dimensions of spirituality which contains multicolors, multidimensions, multidimensions of spirituality and power. Each and every one of Yaakov's sons, they possessed incredible, incredible powers and qualities and gifts. They were men of incredibly high spiritual levels. But only Joseph had the potential for the multicolors to take all those qualities, to take all those things, to synthesize them, to make them into one, to become the individual that will continue in full the tradition of his father, Yaakov. And Yaakov knows this will incur. 
the wrath of his brothers. And he sees within Joseph that Joseph is the dreamer. Now, the dreamer is not this guy who sits back lying in the field looking at the sky and dreaming. He is a dreamer, a prophet, an individual who sees great things. And he shares these dreams with his brother. He shares this wonderful vision that he has. He shares this incredible spiritual sight. He shares this incredible spiritual prophecy. This only incurs the wrath of his brothers further. It makes them far far angrier because why are you putting yourself into a position of superiority? Why are you the ones, why are you the one who is giving us these visions? After all, we all have our own vision. What in fact is taking place? What in fact is happening? What in fact is all this? And Yaakov recognizes what in fact this is all about. And despite the fact that the brothers become angry, it says that Yaakov treasured this moment and he waits because Yaakov knows this is an incredible turning point in history. And what is that turning point in history? How it's going to play out, Yaakov is not absolutely certain, but one thing he knows, that there will be an incredible change. There will be a shift in history. Something is going to take place. And what's going to take place? Yaakov realizes, yes, despite the fact that he was victorious against his father-in-law Lovin, against his brother Asab, he had dramatically changed the nature of those societies by encountering them, by involving himself within their realities. He transforms much of their negativity into a state of positivity, a negativity of sinfulness and corruption into one of potential holiness. But nonetheless, Yaakov realizes something else. Yaakov realizes that as a result of his vayeshev, his ability to descend deeply into the physical dimensions of the world, to understand the real core issues that are necessary in order to bring about that full and total transformation that will enable for total emancipation, Mashiach's coming to take place, something has to take place in the other dark parts of the world as well. And there are still dark corners, Mitzrayim, Egypt being one of them. And there's no way in the world that Yaakov and his family are going to descend into Egypt. Egypt is a land which they are going to distance themselves from. And this is why Yaakov does certain actions. Of course, all of this orchestrated behind the scenes by God himself through divine providence that ultimately Joseph goes down to Egypt, the brothers go down to Egypt, and they encounter that incredibly intense darkness, idolatry and violence violence in the most direct and powerful way. Vayeshev. Vayeshev not only means he rested, Vayeshev means he descends into a darkness. He descends into the earthiness of God's creation. He descends into the core of what, in fact, are the great obstacles to the spirituality and revelation of godliness in the world, and those things have to be encountered. As we read later on, without going into Egypt and the liberation 
revelation from Egypt and the ultimate revelation at Sinai. Sinai would have never happened had the Jews not gone through the experience of Egypt, of Mitzrayim. And Yaakov recognizes that something has to take place. And as we go through the Parsha, we see a story unfolding. We see a story that develops into an understanding of why going into those extremely dark and challenging areas of God's creation, those that represent, in a sense, the ultimate evil, those that represent the ultimate darkness, Yaakov knows that somehow that has to be encountered. Yes, his grandfather went through Egypt, but it was only in a superficial sense. He didn't transform it. He had this encounter with Pharaoh at the time, but Yaakov realizes something far more powerful has to take place. This is by Yeshiv Yaakov. Yaakov understands that something extraordinary, a complete change of the historical direction has to take place. They cannot live in the isolated bliss of their living, a world of wonderful spirituality and great physical comfort. Yes, he has achieved that through incredible effort by confronting two of the most powerful and evil people in the world, two of the most powerful evil societies in the world, Lavan and his brother, and also the culture and society of Shechem, the one who kidnapped um, his daughter Dina. But nonetheless, Yaakov knows that despite all those great and incredible achievements, something greater still has to be done. And in order for that greater thing to take place, for that ultimate revelation, for the ultimate liberation that will come with Mashiach, he has to, through himself, his children, encounter the most dark and challenging places within God's creation, those societies, those lands, those places that represent at that time and throughout history a place of incredible evil. And Jacob, as I said before, knows full well that neither he nor his children are going to descend willingly into Egypt. They are not going to go down there. And this is why Jacob participates knowingly and unknowingly into course of action that will result in the brothers selling Yosef as a slave into Egypt, not knowing that what they are doing is simply facilitating the ultimate and greater result that will take place through the recognition of what Yosef has become and the ultimate liberation of the Jewish people, the story of Exodus. They don't know that at that time. They see the darkness. But Yaakov senses just as he, well, waits for and is extremely, extremely careful to maintain a recognition of the dreams of Joseph. Yaakov knows that something powerful is happening. History is changing. The sun seems to be setting. It seems to be getting dark. It's a time of pain, of challenge, and grief. But it's also a time of incredible and far greater potential as well. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And as the story develops, Yosef goes down into Egypt. Yosef goes down into that dark place. And even within that dark place as a slave, he comes to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar is an individual 
who has his own issues, an individual who is, well, not the most refined of people. And Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He's thrown into jail within the darkness of his personal exile in Egypt. He is thrown into a further darkness. But strangely enough, Joseph, as a result of his extraordinary abilities, he is called Ishmatzliach, a man of great personal fortune. Not only fortune in the sense that we understand fortune, a lucky man, a wealthy man. He is a person that exudes a type of personality that touches others. He reveals a sense of godliness through his wisdom, through his advice, through his ability to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker, and ultimately he comes to Pharaoh himself. But we mustn't forget the other story that's taking place in this week's Parsha, and that's Yehuda, that's Judah. Judah, who ultimately becomes the individual, his children become the kings of Israel. Judah is the one, Yehuda is the one. His family is the family of Malchi Yisrael, the Malchi Yehuda, the kings of the Jewish people. And he, too, goes through a personal exile. He recognizes that he made a terrible mistake by advising his brothers to sell Joseph into Egypt. He realizes that he should have acted differently with far greater nobility and with far... But he, too, has to go through a whole process because he goes off to the well, to a strange land and goes into a business transaction with others and raises a family away from the family of his father and his brothers. Because there is an underlying conflict that's taking place in this week's Parsha. And as all underlying conflicts, it is a powerful underlying conflict. It's the conflict between Joseph and Judah, who will ultimately be the king of Israel who will ultimately be the forebearer of what will be the ultimate redeemer of Israel, Mashiach himself. And as we know, there's Mashiach ben Yosef, a Mashiach that came from the family of Yosef. For a short time, the ultimate Mashiach, of course, comes from the house of David, who is the grandson of Judah, etc., etc. Who will rule? Who will ultimately lead the world to total redemption? This is the underlying conflict that takes place. It's not only going into the land of Egypt. It's not only descending into a dark and dangerous and violent and vulgar land. It is far greater than that. Each and every one of them goes through their personal exile. And exile, although painful, although dark, although difficulty, exile is a time of immense and intense potential and greatness, latent gifts, powerful gifts come to the fore. This is what exile is all about. When we go through an experience of difficulty, the end result, if handled correctly, is something which is far greater than existed before. And this is something which exile is all about. And this is why we see historically the Jewish people have flourished and thrived within their exile experiences. The Talmud, the great sages of the Jewish people, whether from the Ashkenazi point of view or from the Sephardi point of view, the great scholars of Spain, the great scholars of Poland, the great scholars of Lithuania, all of that happens in exile. And this is something that we have to understand by confronting the difficulties and darknesses, darkness of the world, by confronting those situations that seem to want to overwhelm us. If handled correctly, it is something which is far greater. We see this in the story of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe as well. He went into jail, imprisoned in Zaris prison, which was a death sentence. Nonetheless, he came out stronger and far more powerful and led the world to the great revelation of Hasidus Chabad, something which was an immense gift to all of Jewish people.
the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah is that the temple was invaded by a negative element. The Greeks brought their idols right into the holy area. Everybody thought this was the end. This was the end. Spiritually, the Jewish people had lost the great battle. They weren't able to protect their holy temple. And from now on, Judaism would become just another idolatrous movement. Along comes Matisyahu's five sons. Matisyahu is brave and strong and powerful, an individual who is committed to God and to God's ways. Matisyahu comes out and changes all of that. With a handful of people, he challenges the powerful Greek army physically, materially, and he overwhelms them. He rids the holy temple of all the negative idols, returning the place to a state of divine and godly holiness. And in fact, our sages tell us to a far higher and greater level than existed before. This is something which is important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand is that difficulty and darkness and exile, yes, while it is something that we don't choose to go into, it's something which we ask God not to send us into, but nonetheless, if in fact in his divine wisdom, which is the real understanding of our purpose in this world, he decides that we have to go through those situations, the end result is something which is far greater. We grow, we develop, we somehow are able to release and to reveal those inner powerful dimensions that our soul possesses very often. Our soul remains latent. Our soul remains in a state of potential greatness, and it takes a bit of a push, a bit of a shove, in order for those elements to come to the fore and become great. We see this in this week's Parsha. This is what Vayeshev Yaakov is all about. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz, he goes deep within the difficulty, the intensity and density of the core of the earth, metaphorically speaking, to the most powerful material, physical elements, and confronting the most powerful and difficult points of darkness in the world. Yes, he doesn't know exactly how the story will unfold, but Joseph goes off into exile and ultimately becomes the viceroy of Egypt, ultimately becomes the individual who saves the world from the terrible, terrible famine. In fact, saves Yaakov and his family as well. Yehuda goes off to his personal exile. And while, of course, that story is confusing and murky and we don't really understand what takes place or why it took place, ultimately, what happens through those children Mashiach is born. And this is something which we have to understand, certainly on the Shabbos before Hanukkah. Shabbos Hanukkah means the Shabbos before Hanukkah. It's a time to prepare ourselves for light. Light is revelation. Light enables us to see things clearly. Light is warmth. Light guides the way. But in order to understand that light, we had to go through a terrible experience where the temple itself was invaded by all sorts of negative, idolatrous elements. And we found that one little jar of oil that had the seal of the high priest, that little jar of oil that miraculously lasted for eight days, even though it could only normally last for one day. And this is why this Shabbos, we have to listen to the story of Jacob and, well, his sons, how they behave. Yes, of course, 
initially we are disturbed that Jacob's sons could have behaved in the way that they did, the jealousy, the sibling rivalry, how they dealt with Yosef, selling him as a slave. We are pained to see Yaakov going through the grief and sorrow and the sense of loss. We are saddened when we see Joseph go into a world of intense darkness and difficulty where he has to use every single element of his internal greatness to rise above those challenges we see where Judah goes off into an exile. We see how the temple is invaded, the Shabbos before Hanukkah. But the end result is one of glory, one of brightness, one of tremendous change and salvation. And this is something which we can apply to our own lives. Yes, we all possess incredible gifts. We all possess on a potential level elements that are far greater than appear in our own lives on an everyday basis. And sometimes it takes a challenge, a relationship, something which pushes us, something which challenges us, something that begs for those elements of greatness contained within us to be revealed and to be released. So this is why in Shul tomorrow, listen to the story carefully. Yes, go through the story itself and feel the emotions that are natural and normal, but also Spend a moment or two thinking about the deeper, the deeper meaning of everything that's taking place and how, in fact, it plays itself out at the end when we finally see the victory and glory. Ivayeshev does not mean that he settles down, takes it easy, is going to retire, rest on his laurels, and enjoy the gifts of life. Ivayeshev means Yaakov knows he has to take a far greater and bolder step in order to bring about the fulfillment of God's creation. Good job.